Advent begins today. Advent is the beginning of a new Christian year in our calendars, our secular calendars as it were. We celebrate the new year on January the 1st, but you can be seated just for a moment. But in the Christian calendar year, we celebrate the beginning of the new year on Advent, the four weeks just before Christmas. And I do know, by the way, that it is really cold in this room, so the heat is on. It just may not be able to catch up with us. So... um, know that we're aware of that and working on the heat. This Advent, our session wanted to make sure that we didn't just rush through Advent season as we are all want to do, but that we actually gave pause and reflected on all that 2020 has brought us. I mean, we said four months ago, I think, in a sermon, I said, do you remember back in the day when half of Australia was on fire, when, when uh, the royals were leaving the, the royal family? Do you remember that? When when, uh, when Harry and Meghan left and there was an impeachment, right? And this, this was all in the month of January, right? And then February and then March, we got news of COVID and then all of a sudden things just stopped. And we're at the point now where we are so tired of COVID and we are so tired of all this stuff. We just want to punch fast forward and get through the year. But your Savior, the great physician, has placed things in each of your lives with incredible strategic and loving care in such a way that he wants you to recognize his voice. And he doesn't want us in one of the most important times of the year to rush too quickly to your Amazon wish list and all that you have to do for Christmas and all the added complexity of a Christmas, just like a Thanksgiving, with all of the demands of COVID. He wants you to stop and slow down and hear from him. So we're going to do that. The habits of a church should be able to handle the challenges of our time. And one of those habits we want to ingrain into us is the ability to hear the Lord's voice amidst the confusing, distracting days like ours. Now, we're in the book of Luke this first week. The book of Luke and Acts makes up 28% of the New Testament. It was written, both books were written by Dr. Luke. And here, Luke moves from a very famous passage. Anyone know the passage that precedes this passage of Mary and Martha? The story of the Good Samaritan, that's right. And he moves from coming down the Jericho Road. And he talks about Jesus entering into Bethany and staying with Martha at her house where her sister Mary also was. But Luke doesn't put those in chronological order because Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem up the Jericho Road. And Luke is very intentional about why he moves the story and puts it in after the story of the Good Samaritan. I'll explain to you that as we get into the text. So Jesus comes to a village that John tells us is Bethany to Mary and Martha's house. Luke doesn't want us to get caught up in those geographical details. He just wants us to see the point. And so would you stand this morning for the reading of God's word from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This passage is a passage about discipleship. The previous passage in Luke was a passage about who is our neighbor. Our neighbor is anyone in need, regardless of race or class or creed, as the Good Samaritan teaches us. This passage teaches us about discipleship. And how to listen to the Lord. And the passage that follows this is a passage about how to have a relationship, not just with your neighbor, not just with Jesus, but with your Father in prayer. So Luke is very strategically transitioning us to slow down. He's downshifting to teach us about discipleship. From serving our neighbor to listening to Jesus. The passage after this teaches us how therefore we are to pray. And this passage is filled with volumes commenting on all the social dynamics that are at play here. But for us, we're just going to learn three very simple things. Number one, why are we to slow down? Number two, where to go to slow down? And number three, who can slow down? Why are we to slow down? Where are we to go to slow down? And who does Jesus call to slow down? So let's look at the text together. Why are we to slow down? The story of the Good Samaritan that comes just before this story is a famous story. You all know the story, right? It's about a man who is hurt. It's, he's just an anthropost in Greek. He's just a man. He doesn't speak. You can't tell where he's from. He's beat up. You can't tell what race he is. He is stripped of his clothing. You can't tell what economic status he has. And the priest walks by on the other side. And the Jew walks by on the other side. And it's the Samaritan. Of all people, we stop and help this man. And Jesus' point to the scribes and Pharisees is, your neighbor is anyone in need near you, regardless of what they believe or what they have or where they're from. And lest we think, Luke intends, that our salvation is simply by helping people on the side of the road, unless we think that our salvation is through always serving other people, Luke intentionally puts this right after the story of the Good Samaritan to say, but if you are going to serve, you must first learn a more fundamental trait. And that is you must learn how to listen to your Savior. Because service and worship go together. Service and listening go together. Without one, you wouldn't eat. And without the other listening, you couldn't worship. And the, st- the point that Luke is trying to make is not that you should not do what Martha's doing and you should do what Mary's doing, but it's a matter of priority. And we, as God's people, are to slow down because we so subtly begin to believe that once we become a Christian, the way that you maintain God's love is by serving him. Notice what the text says. It says, Martha, verse 40, she was distracted with much serving. She was serving the Lord. Like she was working on her Thanksgiving meal. She was working on getting Christmas just right. She was working on all. She was doing what she had been taught 
to do. And yet somehow in the midst of her serving, she missed it. She ran too quickly to serve, and she was, Jesus says, service wasn't bad. It was that she was distracted in serving from listening to his voice. So why are we to slow down? We're to slow down, quite frankly, because you begin to subtly believe, and I begin to subtly believe, that our righteousness is what maintains our status with the Lord. That we begin to view ourselves no longer as Orphans who become children of God, but we begin to believe ourselves ever so subtly as slaves who now have to appease a holy God through our rigorous duty, which is why for some of you who have come to Trinity recently, why the whole idea of rest at worship is like so life-giving for you because you can just come and rest. I mean, if I had you raise your hand at the number of people in this church, even here, much less those of you at home, who have like led worship for decades at former churches, who have led Bible studies for decades at formal churches, who have been elders in other churches, right? And somehow along the way, you just got worn out. And part of that may be on the church, and part of that may be on you. And the Lord Jesus wants to tell you, come and rest in worship, because you need it. That's why we are to slow down. Because we have a tendency to view ourselves as orphans and not as sons and daughters before a loving father. And we get so easily distracted by those things, just like Martha did in verse 40. Now next, where do you go to slow down? Well, you certainly don't go to Kohl's. (laughs) And you certainly don't go to Home Depot. And you certainly don't run to Woodland Hills Mall to slow down. Although all those places are places we'll probably visit in the next couple of months. The place where you go to slow down is not even necessarily in a quiet time with Jesus alone. Because you can hurry through that too. The place where you go to slow down is a place of utter dependence upon the Lord. Mary sat at Jesus' feet. Do you know what that means? Paul in Acts chapter 22 verse 3 sat at whose feet? Gamaliel's feet. It was the rabbi that Paul followed. Junior rabbis sit at the feet of elder rabbis to learn and to listen. And here Mary comes and she listens to Jesus. Is is there stuff to do in the kitchen? Of course. Is there stuff that she has to do to help the meal? Of course. But somewhere along the way, Mary recognized that where I need to go to rest, knowing her own heart, is I need now to sit at the feet of my Savior. Where do you go to rest? What does it look like for you to sit at the feet of your Savior? I mean, for some of us, it will mean opening up the book of Isaiah and reading Isaiah 9 slowly and prayerfully as you prepare for Advent. And we commend a regular reading of God's word to us. We need to know the Bible so well. Please bury yourself in it. Know it. But when you come to listen to the Lord's voice, would you do so prayerfully and earnestly and slowly so that you don't miss trying to check off your evangelical subculture quiet time to-do list without truly dwelling with him. This is a distraction for the elders of a church and the deacons of a church as much as it is for anybody because you expect us to be in God's word. 
And we need to be in God's word. And we need to bury ourselves in it and know it and lead you in it. But therefore, all that much more for us as elders to be able to slow down and to marinate in God's word, to meditate on it, and to not do it because you're an officer of the church. Do it because God has given you the strength to serve and lead his people well. And do it because you are a child of a father who loves to give you wisdom if you'll seek it. So where do you go to slow down? You go to Jesus' feet to slow down. For Luke, the third gospel, to listen to his word is joined in a way the other gospel writers do not tell us is joined, listening to his word is joined to the discipline of discipleship. All throughout Luke, it's listening. The scribes and Pharisees tell Jesus, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, you've got to listen. You've missed it. You've been so busy on the road. You've got to hear who your neighbor is, have eyes to see it. Who, is, who, who, should, who, should, who should we serve, Jesus? You should serve anybody in your way. But also, you know what? You need to sit at my feet as you serve, or you will serve in vain. A church full of servant-hearted people without listening to Jesus is a very unhealthy church. And we need servant-hearted... I say that to our own peril and risk because we need servant-hearted people so badly. We need people to help us week after week as we even set up for worship. But we can never serve without first being able to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. One of the ways I want to challenge you to do that is a very simple way. Each of these four weeks of Advent, we're going to give you a practical way to slow down. And that's this. This week, we want you to cook a meal with your family. Cook a meal with your family? We just did that last week. You're a week late, Pastor. No, we want you to cook a meal with your family in a different way than Thanksgiving. We want you to cook a meal with your family, and we want you to think about every ingredient that goes into that recipe. You take each ingredient that went into that recipe and I want you to ask and answer the question, where did it come from? How did it get from it being a seed or it being produced from the farmer being harvested, sold to market, taken to a store, purchased by you, brought home, prepared in your kitchen, put into a meal. I want you to think about with every element the amazing act of power and enormous commitment that went in to get that element to your table. And then I want you to prepare your meal and I want you to eat it and enjoy it. And before you pray, talk about the elements and the ingredients in that meal. And as you eat it, savor Try to discern the tastes of each ingredient in that meal. Which ingredients can you taste? Which ingredients are put into the meal to enhance the flavor of other ingredients in that meal? And slow down. You know, Americans spend an average of 15 minutes eating meals when they sit down together. The French, at least until the 1980s, spent an average of an hour at a meal. And so let's all become a little more French this week. And let's dwell together and let's think with greater intentionality about the little things of life, like the way that we eat our food. So let's cook a meal together this week and let's think about it with much more 
intentionality than we normally do. One way to stop and listen and appreciate the amazing grace of God in your life by providing for you something very simple as a meal. Why? Because Jesus, of course, himself is the key ingredient that came into our life. It was the Lord Jesus that was the key ingredient to rescue us from sin and death. It was the Lord Jesus himself who entered into human history through the incarnation so that we who were dead in our trespasses and sins could have life with him. He's the key ingredient. Do you taste it? Do you see him? Do you savor him? Because he's good. Now very quickly, lastly, who can come to Jesus' feet to slow down? I want you to notice again in the text, where is Mary? Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. We don't really think that this is that radical when we read it in our Bibles today, but this was shocking when they first heard this story, when they first saw it. Because in the ancient Near East, the culture is very um, traditional and the roles of men and the roles of women are very clearly laid out by the rules of that society. Women have women's space, men have men's space and never shall the wires be crossed. A, A man could never have a meal with anybody except his sister or his wife without it being scandalous. And we don't know if Lazarus is in the house or not. It doesn't tell us. It's not until John 12 that we see that Lazarus is the brother with Mary and Martha. But Luke doesn't tell us that Lazarus is in the house because he's trying to make the point. Jesus is breaking cultural stereotypes to be with women. And just like earlier in in Luke, in Luke chapter 8, right? It's Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Susanna who are his disciples. Some of his earliest disciples were women. And in that world, that would be shocking, And this has led some commentators to wrongly assume that Mary and Martha somehow had a romantic affection for Jesus. No, that could not be further from the truth. Luke never talks about that. Jesus is breaking those stereotypes. And what is even more shocking, not only is he in the house with two women, but Mary is sitting where? Who could sit at the feet of a rabbi? Only a young man. A rabbi in training. And here Mary is sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say to Mary, Mary, get back in your woman's space. No, he says to Mary, listen to me. And Martha, who is shocked by this as the older sister, we assume she's the older sister because Luke says that it was her house. And Martha says to Jesus, Lord, tell Mary to get back in the woman's space. Get back in the kitchen to help me. And in Greek, it assumes that Jesus would say yes to that request. But Jesus says so often to our questions, doesn't answer her the way she expects. And he says to her very empathetically, Martha, Martha, Hazel, Hazel, Lauren, Lauren, Beth, Beth, Kyle, Kyle. You've been distracted by many. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen to sit at my feet. So who can come to rest? Answer, everyone. 
if Jesus can break the barriers socially of allowing women to draw near to him, can you imagine what he's done to win you to him and call you to draw near to him too? I mean, do you think that your food that you eat went through a lot to get to your plate? Think about what Jesus has done to win you. Think about your past, how Jesus broke through your poor decisions to get your attention. Think about how Jesus has called you, drawn you near to him. How he had you be born into the family you were born into because he set his love and affection on you since before the dawn of time. And he says to you, come. If you can hear my voice and understand it, whether you are 7 or 77, Jesus says, come to me. If you can hear my voice, whether you are male or female, Jesus says, come to me. If you can hear my voice, whether you're a long-standing member of our church or you're here for the first time, Jesus says, come to me this Advent season and sit at my feet and listen to my still small voice. Oh, don't be distracted by so many things. Jesus has given himself to you. Do you hear him? So this Advent season, as we slow down as a church, we want you first to recognize why we are to slow down. It's because we have a tendency to begin to believe that it's our righteousness that earns God's love, and it's not. We receive salvation as a gift, and we need to revel in that and marvel at it. Where do you go to slow down? You go to Jesus' feet. You go with dependence upon him, which is what Mary did. She had complete dependence upon him because she would have been shamed if he would have rebuked her as she took such a risk to go sit at his feet in such a manner. She had total dependence upon him, just like you have to have total dependence upon him as you come and listen. Jesus, I have the resources to to do this or that, but what really I need, Jesus, is the answer to questions I can't answer with my resourcefulness. I need you. Are you dependent upon him? And who can come to him? Everybody. Even those of you who doubt the gospel who are here today, you can come to him now. And you can trust and depend upon Christ to be your righteousness for the first time in your life. Or for the umpteenth, if you're a believer. So as you prepare for this meal this morning, friends, we have a foretaste of slowing down to share a meal together, of which the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the key ingredient. And we look to Jesus in this meal to be our righteousness. We come and we sit at his feet as we partake of this meal together. And every one of us who claims the name of Christ, regardless, regardless of how well you did this week, spiritually or not, if you come repentant and broken, oof, that's the ticket in. It's a meal for the brokenhearted. And so would you pray with me as we prepare to take this meal together?